Welcome to all Welcome things. Welcome to all things terror. Rude, Emily. Oh, we almost got Rude. it. Rude. We almost got it. I was aiming for us to do it in sync. Ugh. We are never going to get this right. All right, let's start over. Welcome to all things terror. I'm Emily. I'm Jennifer. And this is a research podcast where we bring you spooky stories from science, history, and true crime that will keep you up at night. So, Emily, do you have a story for me? Yeah, so this is what you came here for, um, which was not me to tell you how my animals are trying to make friends with coyotes. No, people Um, do come here for that as well. That's (laughs) If you're still listening to this podcast, it's because you live to hear whatever ridiculous story that's going to come out of Emily's mouth. (laughs) And you know what? We haven't cooked any of the pets, so... Not yet. They're still here. (laughs) So, this week I am going to talk to you about a disease that's kind of old-timey, kind of new-timey. It's weird. You've probably never heard of it. Uh, And it has an interesting connection. And that disease is porphyria. Delicious. It smells like a perfume. Delicious. <laughs> well, buckle up. Um, so this is a medical condition that's seen in humans, but also cats, dogs, and sheep. Um, it's genetic, so it's not contagious. Um, it's incurable, so if you have it, it becomes like a, a matter of managing it. Um, and sometimes it can be brought on by liver diseases. Gesundheit. I sound like a <laughs> Are duck. You aller- Are you allergic to liver? No, but um, liver is gross, and also it's allergy season year-round in Austin, but right now it's grass yeah. season, and it's terrible. Ooh, grass season is bad. Do y'all got oak trees there? Yep. Yep. Yeah, What when I lived in Louisiana, the oak pollen was the absolute worst. Like, I would just be like, do I have cancer? Like, I'm so tired. I feel so sick all the time. And then someone would finally just be like, oh, the oak pollen's out. And I'm like, yep, that's it. It's like, great. It's going to be like this for great. part of the year. Yay. Um. So anyway, aside from Jennifer rudely interrupting me. Whatever, bitch. Um, <laughs> porphyria can also be brought on by liver diseases such as hep C. And I'll talk later a little bit about, like, what it does in your body that does this but basically like what is this what does porphyria mean so there's two kinds one is called cutaneous and this is actually the less common so if this is cutaneous porphyria that means skin like we've all watched crime shows we've all seen forensic files we know that subcutaneous lesion means bleeding under the skin aka a bruise right so cutaneous skin um so, for whatever reason, I don't know, um, Satan and probably doctors do, but cutaneous porphyria causes you to be extremely sensitive to sunlight. Hmm. So how sensitive, you may ask? Um, if you get sunlight on you, it can cause, quote, burning pain. And this is from um, the Mayo Clinic, so they are, like, the anti-WebMD. They try to be very, like, chill and relaxed all the time. So if they call something burning pain, that's probably not great. Um, It can also cause sudden painful, so your skin will get red, it will swell up. You can get blisters if your skin is exposed. 
Um, even without being exposed to the sun, your skin is considered very fragile and thin and your skin color, the pigment will change really quickly. Um, it itches. You can get excessive hair growth in affected areas. So, a werewolf. so a lot of ones. Uh-huh. Yeah. So a lot of them um, talk about the hands and the arms and the face because those are ones that are exposed to sunlight. Um, and actually, as you point out in the werewolf, in our werewolf episode that came out last December, um, there was a peer-reviewed article that I talked about that said that they suggested this disease might have been where werewolf legends originate. Um, and also some things I read said maybe where vampire legends originate, um, because in addition to all of like, oh, you're sensitive to skin or you're sensitive to skin. Oh, that's a scary thought. <laughs> you're, sens- you're sensitive to sun. My own skin sun. is too much. I must rip it off. Oh, geez. I feel like well, that's going to be an episode in the future of some mental disorder of people who think that their skin is attacking them or something. Oh, God. Pardon me. So, um, the sensitivity to sunlight uh, is kind of vampire-like, but also you get red or brown urine. Ew. I know. Super ew. So that's cutaneous porphyria less common the more common one is called uh it's acute porphyria and this comes on um like attacks so you'll get an attack of this and these attacks can last days or weeks um so sometimes it seemed like when i was reading about people that they speculate who had porphyria which will make sense later um it seemed like they kind of there was some overlap like you might have the sun and skin sensitivity with this um but i'm not entirely sure so these acute porphyria attacks um that last for days or weeks involve abdominal pain um and it's almost always described as severe abdominal pain um this can be coupled with all kinds of other abdominal issues like constipation or diarrhea nausea vomiting um, the pain from your stomach can also go elsewhere. Uh, Mayo Clinic again said chest, legs, or back. You can get muscle pain, tingling, numbness, weakness, even paralysis. Um, you can have Caesar, see, seizures. Caesar salads. Yeah, you'll have Caesar salad. That's the only thing you can eat. It's <laughs> it's torturous. I mean, the first time it's okay, but after like two weeks, you're like, God, I just want something else other than Caesar salad. So you have Caesar salads, um, breathing problems, urination problems, including, again, the red or brown urine. Um, the pain seems very awful. Um, I don't want to downplay how painful this apparently is. Uh, Wikipedia, again, I... Sometimes I just enjoy quoting them when they do something out of character, and this feels out of character. Um, They said about this, quote, pain is severe, frequently out of proportion to physical signs, and often requires the use of opiates to reduce it to tolerable levels. Pain should be treated as early as medically possible. Tasty. So, yeah, so there's not like, like you're having this excruciating abdominal pain but there's not like anything happening to you like you're not bleeding internally it's just super painful right 
Um, long-term, it can cause kidney and liver failure um, and sometimes can result in chronic stomach pain. So in modern cases, it's considered like a chronic illness. However, perhaps the scariest, and in my reading, I'm going to say I'm talking slightly more about historical ones. So porphyria still exists today, but I just want to make it clear, like, I'm not casting judgment on any alive person who has porphyria. But perhaps the scariest thing about this is that an acute porphyria attack can cause mental changes, such as extreme anxiety, confusion, hallucinations, disorientation, or paranoia. One of my sources uh, likened it to schizophrenia. Interesting. Yeah. So, so you're going to piss red and think that the government is after you because only you can tell Oprah Winfrey the true nature of birds. And you're also a vampire because you're sensitive to sunlight, but also you're part werewolf because your hair is going crazy. Yeah. And it's you can only of... eat Caesar salad, which is yeah. disappointing. <laughs> you can only eat Caesar salad and might have in pain all over your body, diarrhea, and paralysis. <laughs> um, so I just want to take a brief moment here to say this is what the disease is. Why does it do this? Why does it have red or brown urine, which is not blood, just so you know. Um, Ooh, hold on. Does it have to do with iron? Yes and no. So remember how I said that cats can get it? Yes. So when I was looking up this, um, in cats, this does seem to be linked to anemia, which is when you don't have enough iron. Interesting. But I only saw that with cats, which is not the focus of this episode, <laughs> uh, despite what my uh, earlier like recounting of my pet's activities would have you believe um no so but similar to anemia um this is connected to hemoglobin i'm gonna do a science here are you ready it's been a while since i've done a science i'm so excited i love sciencing <laughs> i'm always proud of us when we do a science um so hemoglobin is in your blood and hemoglobin is the thing that carries oxygen around in there. So your blood transports oxygen all around your bodies, and hemoglobin is the guys with the arms carrying the oxygen boxes. Sure, got it. Moving guys. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the things that makes up the hemoglobin is hemi, heme, hema, hermoma. I don't know. It's spelled H-E-M-E, so... Uh, however you want to say. Well, that. what if they eat the H is silent and then it's emi? It's emi, okay. You know, like herbs, Some... the H is silent, so. But it's hemoglobin, and we don't say hemoglobin. Well, I mean, we don't now. <laughs> okay, hemi or emi if you're British and <laughs> say herbs. Uh. <laughs> So, one of the things that makes up hemoglobin is emi, and porphyria comes from a problem with the emi. So, there are eight separate enzymes in hemi production, and a problem with any one of those can, like, cause a jam, and 
So if there's a problem with any one of those eight enzymes, then the whole process sort of gets jammed up and it causes a buildup of this pigment called porphins. So this buildup, one, will turn your waist and other organs, organs, that red color, it comes from this like buildup of pigment. But if those pigments get exposed to light, they can become caustic, which is what causes all the burning and blistering, right? And if you get enough of a buildup, they become toxic and that causes the acute porphyria attack. So it's a, so it's a blood disease. It is a blood disease. And again, it's hereditary. So like hepatitis C can come about in a lot of different ways. Um, but this one, it seems to be like an actual issue with that's inherited and in how your body works. Um, the prevalence of it is interesting. Um, it's very rare in the United States. It's about one in 25,000 people. And I've seen the same number everywhere for the worldwide prevalence is estimated to be, to be between one in 500 and one in 50,000. That is a huge difference. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> I have no idea why that's such a difference. Uh, but it's really weird that that's such a huge shift. Like, uh, one in 500 and one in 50,000 is quite different in terms of, like, research dollars and whatnot. Um, porphyria has been seen in all races and in all ethnic groups, uh, or I should say multiple ethnic groups. I don't know about everyone. Um, and on every continent that people are. Hmm. Yeah, so it's quite diffuse. Um, it is a weird, scary, creepy kind of disease. Um, why do we care? Well, first of all, the first reason we care, and I had heard of this a couple times, but I saw a picture of this, and this is, like, why I had to do it. Um, when cats get it, it can turn their teeth reddish. Oh, they are little vampires. <laughs> no! Doesn't that just make you picture, like, a Halloween decoration of a black cat with red teeth? <laughs> yes, actually, it does. I, that's all I can see. I saw a picture of this on social media that I will have to share with you guys because it is this black cat that has red teeth and it's what all cats wish they could look like all the time i'm sure <laughs> so if that's not interesting and spooky and all things terror enough for you uh, here's where we're getting into the real meat of it there is a connection between porphyria and europe's royal family i mean of course there is of course there is of course there is, yeah. And you'll notice I said Europe, and Europe is not a country. Well, just wait. We'll get there. But first, let's talk about Britain's King George III. Um, <laughs> because why not? How often? We're always talking about Britain's King George III. Let's just do it. One of our favorite topics. Um, he's often described as the bad King George. Like, you see this all the time. Um he was born in 1738, and when he died at 81, he had a longer reign than any of his predecessors. In fact, only Queen Victoria and the current Queen Elizabeth have reigned longer than him in Britain. So he's, you know, a big dude in history. 
that having been said, that was not an easy reign. Um, for one, this is the King George who was the head of England and Britain when a bunch of a ragtag colonists tipped some tea into Boston Harbor. That's right. This is the king who was the King George that, you know, we learn about in school very briefly. Because he wasn't he wasn't the important part of the story at all. <laughs> no. They're just like, King George was a jerk, so then we became America. <laughs> so we took a shit in his Wheaties and now he has to live with it forever. Yeah, pretty much. Um and then during his reign there was also fighting with the French and Spanish because there always is. Like if you're in school and you have to take some sort of test or answer a question about English history, just assume that they were fighting with the French or the Spanish. And like you're probably be correct. They were colonizing, they were fucking over Ireland and they were fighting with the French and Spanish and that's basically it. You got it. Anyway, now that I've gotten you to pass your AP history exam, uh, (laughs) when King George was 72 in 1810, things really started going downhill. Um, So first off, he's blind uh, because he's old and he starts exhibiting things that seem sort of like dementia. Um, Within a year, his son is ruling in his stead, which is a regency, which always sounds very ominous. Regency is kind of like colonialism. When you hear that, usually bad shit is going to happen. Right. Um, But in this case, I guess King George was just so fucked up that there wasn't any real problem. And then he died and the regent took over anyway. Um, But by the end of 1811, he's basically a shut in. Like he was just kept in this palace away from sight like hidden from everyone um one source said that he stopped shaving he started having this crazy long white beard um another one said he wasn't told when his wife died in 1812 this was the queen that he'd been married to for a really long time and had children with and like apparently throughout all this time he's sort of raving he's acting like he's in pain Um, one source mentioned that there were four bouts of these really bad sort of like disassociative painful attacks, but a lot of them made it sound like it was just sort of a slow decline that more or less became permanent. Hmm. Um, and I want to read a section from a book that you mentioned in one of our other episodes, our makeup episode, The Royal Art of Poisoning. Oh yeah. Which I I listened to, it was so good, I loved it, and they talk about this. And at some point, um, this King George III, he has stomach pain. And so, at the time, um, 1700s, 1800s, they are not quite hip to the idea that germs are what make you sick. So, they think it's like, oh, you've got humors out of whack, or like, they thought like cured like, so if you had a fever, they would give you like stuff to make you hot or like to blister your skin because they thought that would dry it out. So George has stomach pain. He's given medicine that is that causes him to vomit, which makes me feel so terrible. Like if you have an upset stomach and they're like, here, let's make it more upset. Um, <laughs> and then they also they also blistered his scalp and legs. Oh god, which sounds oh yeah extremely painful so after these treatments quote within 24 hours of his first treatment the king was feverish his urine brown his feet swollen his eyeballs yellow 
and his blisters festering and oozing pus. Even worse, his mental state deteriorated rapidly. He ran into a royal reception with his legs wrapped in flannel and babbled incoherently about losing the American colonies. During dinner, he slammed his eldest son violently against a wall. He spoke so quickly he could hardly breathe. He dictated orders to people who were long dead as foam bubbled out of his mouth. The medications left him vomiting, drenched, drenched in sweat, raving like a man maniac, and howling like a dog. He danced a minuet with his servants and begged them to kill him. He thought he was the emperor of Persia and that his pillow was his dead son. End quote. Wow. That's a, that's a whole shit ton of crazy to take in there. I know. It's really weird and upsetting. And I just thought of something that I'm going to Google. Sorry for the typing, Clint. But I don't care because I just thought of something. So it's kind of like if you've ever seen King Lear. And I was just Googling to see if that was written before or after this. And Lear was written in 1606, so like 200 years before this. Uh, but yeah, he just is super, like, absolutely declining. Um, he, a couple sources mentioned that he had to be tied to a chair and forced to take his medicine. And here I just want to point out that um, one of my favorite series of books growing up was The Chronicles of Narnia. I read them all many times in my life. Um, and one of my favorite ones is called The Silver Chair. And it's very dark and creepy, so of course I liked it. Um, but there are these two children who are, like, traveling to these, like, dark, creepy, like, lands. They literally go underground at one point. At another point, they do that, like, uh, Soylent Green thing where, like, there are all these giants who are being nice. And then they realize they're being nice because they're going to cook them and eat them. <laughs> but, right. Th mm -hmm. This whole time, they're looking for this lost prince. And they think they find him, and he is staying in this castle with a sorceress, I think. And um, they're like, you're this prince of Narnia, you need to come back. And he's like, no, I'm not. That's not, it's nothing, it's not a big deal. And he tells them, every night I, I lose my mind, I become crazy. And so they tie me to this chair. And, like, you can stay here, but you can't untie me. Like, no matter what happens, don't do it. And, um, so there's, they're sitting there and, you know, his servants come and tie him to the chair and he's like, don't be scared. Like it'll pass within an hour. And the hour comes and he starts screaming and like freaking out. And he's like, I remember who I am. Like I'm enchanted all the time. Like my punishment is that once a night, I remember all of these things. I remember who I am. You have to untie me. And they're just like, what do we do? Like, is this the crazy person or was the early person crazy? Um, and I love that scene. It was so scary. I just remember there's like a line from it that I can remember almost exactly. That's like every night I become a man and I would be like forever if they released me, but every night I'm bound. It's so anyway, I very much strongly think that CS Lewis based it off of King George III because. Oh Yeah. He he would absolutely know of this, this man who, like, had these attacks where he, like, got crazy and seemed to, like, lose touch on reality, and he had to be, like, tied into a chair for these, like, treatments, which, 
may or may not have helped, right? Yeah. Um, towards the end of his life, and I said this started when he was 72 and he lived to be 81, um, he, the way that his whole, uh, every source says that his life ended, he went on one of these sort of attacks where he was just ranting and raving and losing touch with everything and acting like he was in pain for 58 hours straight, fell into a coma, and died. Hmm. Which is honestly I mean, really sad. Yes, but also really anticlimactic. Uh, climactic. Know, right? like, you were really expecting that to go somewhere <laughs> else. <laughs> like he would run out of a window or like wander the streets or just disappear or something? Yes, exactly. I mean, that's it felt like we were really getting built up for that. I know. Um, so, despite all of that, one lingering mystery is what caused King George III to act this way. Like, what was going on? Um, dementia, I said, it seems like the onset of dementia at the beginning. Dementia could certainly cause it, right? And that was one that's been put forward. Um, I've seen several places that mentioned bipolar disorder, but that doesn't feel right to me because bipolar disorder usually crops up when people are younger, mm -hmm. and I haven't seen any mention of it when he was young, which you would think that they would be like, oh, well, he's always been crazy like this. But beginning in 1966, um, a mother and son psychiatrist duo, which hilarious and delightful please start a showtime show that's like a comedy drama of those two um <laughs> they published a paper arguing that it was porphyria remember how i said he had like brown urine yes um there's some contemporary description of it being like a certain wine color um which is very dark red uh and i will say that from 1966 to today in 2020, that argument that porphyria is what caused it is very hotly debated. Like, it's not a given. Some people absolutely think it is. Some people think no. Um, but, and, like, whether correct or not, it's now one that has to be answered for. So, like, if you bring up King George, you have to sort of mention porphyria. Like, this has become a prominent theory. Um, I will also say that the Royal Art of Poisoning has an interesting tidbit that the medicines itself could have caused this issue, right? Like, if you're causing someone to throw up by essentially giving them a poison, then you might just be making them sick and not feel better, right? Mm -hmm. There's also um, a lot of medicines in those days used arsenic. And at one point that was found in George III's hair, um, and arsenic can cause porphyria. So, like, it can do something to the blood that would trigger porphyria, or it actually can cause it... Um, outside of genetic makeup? I think what it does is cause it outside of genetic makeup because I saw a source that said, yeah, arsenic can cause porphyria or porphyria-like symptoms, and then 
hepatitis C can also bring it on. And I know that arsenic, or at least I think arsenic damages your liver. So I don't know this exact step. This is pure speculation, but my speculation is that remember how I said it's porphyria is caused by an issue in the like hemi production line. I wonder if the liver is involved in that hemi production. Hmm. And so that's the damage that causes this porphyria to come up. Oh, that's a good point. The fact, I will say, and this is another, well, anyway, um, another reason that it might actually be porphyria is that um, porphyria looks like a lot of other things, right? If your urine is red and you have abdominal pain, first of all, I would just assume that I'm pissing blood and that my kidneys are shot and I'm dying, right? <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, you could have a bladder issue or a urethral issue or whatever. All of that would cause pain. And if you're in a lot of pain, of course, you might have mental issues. Um, so one source called um, Porphyria, quote, the little simulator, <laughs> <laughs> which is like a really shitty younger sibling nickname when syphilis, which you did an episode on, is the great imitator. <laughs> So, like, well, one day, Porphyria, you'll live up to your great older sibling's nickname, but for now, you're just you're just our little simulator. And, of course, it's like, why do I always have to be compared with somebody else? Uh, Syphilis doesn't even make your pee weird. Come on. Give me some credit. That's a cool trick, you guys. So, if George III was suffering from porphyria then. This is where we start getting a very interesting what if of history because it's genetic and hereditary. That means theoretically we can trace it back to other monarchs. And I will just say right now that there is a book called Europe's Tainted Blue, Bo Blue Blood, Purple Secret. Jeans, Madness, and the Royal House of Europe. Um, it's by Martin Warren, David Hunt, and John Rawl, and it's all about this. They make the really strong argument that the Stuarts, who is this family line, um, were carriers of Porphyria. I was not able to access it um, because all libraries are closed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, theoretically, if this is not the end times... Um, you will be listening to this episode, and you will be able to go get Purple Secret if this interests you. But if you are not able to do that, or you don't want to, I will tell you that some speculation goes tracing this Porphyria gene back to James V, possibly James I, and definitely James V's daughter, Mary, Queen of Scots. I did not know a lot about Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, so I looked into this, um, and she has got a super tragic story. Um, she becomes queen at six days old, uh, not six, uh, six days old. So she has, like, uh, regents take care of things for her. Um, she gets married, like, three times. Her second husband is murdered. Her third husband is the one who was originally accused of the murder. 
Um, there's an unaccept like an unsuccessful coup. She lives in France. She's always like fleeing places because people are like doing shit, and then she gets in trouble for it because she's Queen of Scotland. She flees to England to be like, help me to Elizabeth I because there's shit going on and she's going to get her head chopped off. And Elizabeth I is like, nah, you started this. You plotted against me. Although it seems like there were plots against Elizabeth, but Mary was not actually involved in it. Um, Elizabeth puts her in jail for 18 years. Uh, and then is like, oh, wait, let me get around to trying you for treason. You're guilty. Her head is chopped off. Well, so I had to tell you that story because that's pretty great and very, um, as all, all Aussie Mystery Hour would say, a zesty aside. Um, that feels very in line with an all things terror story. But in connection to Porphyria, Mary maybe had ulcers or some sort of stomach issue. Um, at one point, she had a really nasty stomach attack that they thought would kill her which could be an acute porphyria. Um, these attacks would cause, quote, frequent vomiting, loss of sight, loss of speech, convulsions, and periods of unconsciousness. Um, there was also one source that said she also had blistering on her hands in strong sunlight, which again feels, sounds very much like porphyria. Yeah. Yeah. So, interestingly, if we think about this idea of Mary, Queen of Scots, George III, um, having this genetic disease uh, that has been carried down, carried down um, to Queen Victoria. Remember who I said was one of the longest reigning queens of England? Well, she was also one of the most powerful in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that she did that was her children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. She married them off to all the heads of Europe. So at the outset of World War One, um, her the King of England, the Tsar of Russia, and the uh, Kaiser of Germany, who were all on different sides, were first cousins, and Queen Victoria was their grandmother. So if we have Porphyria, and this is an unbroken line of royalty all the way down to our present. Uh, Prince William and Prince Harry, um, then theoretically all of these royals could be carriers and maybe have Porphyria, which includes possibly levels of paranoia and insanity akin to schizophrenia. Delightful. Mm. So, one review of that book that I was unable to get had an interesting line that said, quote, equally, however, the scientific conclusions reached may quite easily persuade many to believe that many historical events like Britain's loss of the American colonies, the outbreak of the First World War, and the fall of the monarchy in continental Europe were down to a mad streak that permeated the house of the Stuarts and the Hanoverians. And I will say, um, I mentioned World War One, the Kaiser uh, Wilhelm was well known for having these like crazy fits. Um, I've actually seen a lot more compelling evidence that he might have had something more like bipolar or manic depression, um, where he would have these like fits of mania, but and like grandiosity, but then he would also go through like huge depressive episodes. Um, 
and a lot of like the like war hawking that led into World War One is kind of traced back to like his personality and his like this weird obsession with military stuff. This having been said, from the Royal Art of Poisoning, um, there is one little twist that will forever make this a uh, mystery of history. And the reason is that at certain points in history, like I said, um, we got hair from King George III and we were able to see that there was arsenic in it. Um, at certain points in history, scientists have had access to royal bodies um, through legitimate means and not so legitimate means, right? Like during the French Revolution, one of the things that they did was like root the loyal, royal graves and throw the bodies out. And, you know, this is Marie Antoinette's shinbone as a souvenir and stuff. <laughs> Which is grim, yeah. but they kind of deserved it. Um, but currently, um, the royal family will not consent to any sort of genetic testing or exhumation of ancestors. And in that book, the author posits that at least one of the reasons why, because this could contribute so much, like, science and history and information, like, let's do a genetic test on the bones of Queen Elizabeth I, right? right? What could we learn? We could, Or even just examining the bones, right? What could we learn? So many things, but they won't allow it. Um, one of the re like speculations is that um, they think we might find that the Stuart line is not unbroken. So in other words, if you believe that the king and queen inherit this through their hereditary passed down, well genetic testing might reveal a break and she points to the very likely break um which is uh richard the third i think who possibly murdered little princes and then took over the throne or there's a lot of speculation about certain illegitimate sons or daughters taking hold or any number of mysterious paperback novel type situations um <laughs> Which seems like truly the only reason why you would say, no, you absolutely cannot look at any genetic material from uh, any rulers. So that is the scientific weird anomaly of Porphyria and the mysterious historical tale of Porphyria's possible connection to Europe's royal family. But it's not coronavirus. It's not coronavirus. Although, if all of our teeth were turning red, that would be a little bit more exciting, I suppose. <laughs> how was, uh... <laughs> I wonder how people during the plague times would be taking uh, the contemporary reaction to a pandemic. Well, you sent me that chat of people being like, oh, remember when you learned that, like, um, Ring Around the Rosie is about the plague, and you're like, how could you possibly have that? And you're like, oh, and then we're all making, like, toilet paper jokes. I mean, you have to laugh, or what else are you going to do? Well, that's fair. That's fair. As we're recording this, we are still in the pandemic. Yeah. I think, um... 
when this comes out, everyone's going to be hopefully really sick of coronavirus and they will be like, but not oh, sick with coronavirus. Not <laughs> Jeez, not Emily. Sick, <laughs> not sick with coronavirus, sick of hearing about it because everything's going to be back to normal and it's going to be fine and we're going to be well moved on. Hopefully when you're listening to this, you're not still stuck in your house dreaming of wearing real pants. And also and... wondering how bad would it be to have porphyria? Yeah, I mean, it sounds really painful, and the, um, the, uh, like, mental changes are very frightening. Like, to me, the, I mean, I am a person who has depression and anxiety, so, like, I understand, like, my mind is a scary place. I don't, like, there are a lot of times where I feel, if you have anxiety, you feel really scared, and you feel really sure that something really awful is happening or you're gonna die or your loved ones are all dead or just whatever you just panic but then you ride out your anxiety and you realize that like oh my brain was lying to me about the reality of the world and so i guess i i get used to the idea yeah dick move seriously i get used to the idea of not being able to trust my brain but the idea that, like, a physical sickness could do that as well is, like, another little creepiness. Like, imagine if you got a cold and then suddenly you became really paranoid and thought that, like, your pets were trying to poison you or something. <laughs> well, to be fair, Rue actually might be trying to poison you. Oh, no, not again. I swear I gave her her sacrifice this week. <laughs> I thought she would be appeased. I mean, that's just that's just sport for her at this point. It's true. She has been really frustrated with me because somehow a mouse got in the house and I'm pretty sure she killed it because now she's like obsessed with staring at the gap between my stove and the cab cabinets, which I can only assume is because that's where the mouse comes from. And sometimes she like meows at me like she wants me and ru then runs over there and I'm like, I can't make a mouse appear. Like, I can't do that for you. <laughs> She looks so, like, disappointed and angry, like, just like, What you do you are... mean you can't make a mouse appear? Ugh, why do I keep you around? Yeah, so, she might, yeah, she might do it. I would understand. Well, on that note... If, if I'm mysteriously murdered, it was Clint or Rue. And if it was Clint... <laughs> Take revenge. And if it was Rue, just choose the boss of you now. Well, I mean, uh, Clint, I think it would be a little bit harder for him to come kill you just because you guys live far away from each other. Yeah. We have been having an agreement for, uh, like, years and years that one will murder the other so we'll see who wins that one it, me i'm going to win that one <laughs> fair enough <laughs> and on that note goodbye forever goodbye forever
All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. made it past 10 seconds <laughs> did you hear felix whining yes he was like why is it so quiet what's happening this makes me uncomfortable you're supposed to talk now mom that's why you put on the weird hat wait you're wearing a hat a po- do you have a podcasting hat i wish no i just assumed felix wouldn't understand what headphones were and would just call it a weird hat Hmm. I can see that, but now I'm disappointed that you don't have a podcasting hat. I mean, I can make this happen from here on out if it would make you feel better. You know what? In fact, uh, I think I I need to go put on a hat. (laughs) I'm not even sure if I own a hat. Oh, I do. I have one that says Cat Mom. Hold on a second. I'll be right back. All right. That's right, Clint. I'm disrupting it for cat. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, n- now you can't throw it away. Well, Clint will have to cut this part out because if you're not by the microphone, it's just me talking to myself. Mm. Oh, little sushi. Like, he's like, exactly what the fuck do you expect my answer to be? (laughs) Hi, Clint. Sorry. That was really important that I get this hat. And now you're ready. And now I'm ready to podcast. Ugh, yeah. Well, now you you have to wear it every single time. Oh, and I'm setting it up. I'm setting it up as in my podcast station area now.
Well, I would just like to say, one, I'm glad that you got a special podcasting hat. But two, I'm a little upset that Felix chose to be hypervigilant over my podcasting habits because recently uh, my neighbor told me that they saw a coyote like right outside my house the last couple nights. Uh... And my other neighbor was like, oh, that must be why my dog was going crazy. And I was like, my dog slept through all of it. (laughs) Of course. And in fact... The only reaction from the cats is sushi who wants to go outside. And I'm like, no, you're not going outside to fucking party with a coyote roaming around who will try to eat you. And sushi was like, oh, bet I'll eat the coyote. And I was like, we're not having this fight. You're grounded. (laughs) So that's been my life lately. Uh, That's great. And that's exactly what I expect from all your pets. Yep. Yeah. Um... I actually fully expect them to be meowing to go outside, and then I'd open the door, and the coyote would just be right there. Would come in and eat their food, and they'd be like, oh, hey, a friend. Oh, let me show you where I scratch. See, I told you she'd have good food for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's reassuring. Although when that crazy lady came and pounded on my door, then he barked. So I guess he's like, coyotes, chill. Crazy people, no. Less chill. <laughs> yeah, le- less well, so far yeah. I guess I can get behind that. Well, I am going to need you to check your phone. Did you send me a picture of you in the special podcast you I did. <laughs> yeah, you have to wear that every single time we podcast now. <laughs> and don't worry listeners, it will go on social media, which if you're not following us Seems as good a time as any to tell you that we have a Facebook group. Uh, it's called All Things Terror Podcast. And we have an Instagram that's called All Things Terror. I think it's just called All Things Terror. And we have a Twitter that's called All Things. Oh, wait. Nope. Sorry. Let me start over. Do you want Our some Facebook help? Facebook is All Things Terror Podcast. Our Instagram is All Things Terror Podcast. And our Twitter is just All Things Terror. We got tired. I knew there. I knew there was one outlier, and I can never remember which one it is. It's the Twitter. It's always Twitter. I forget that Twitter even exists. I am so bad at Twitter. I I wish that someone would just volunteer to, like, take over for me, because I am so bad at it. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, join us. Uh, it will pop up on... Probably all of those because it's just so delightful and hilarious. Um, but usually we try to do, or I try to do, different content in each one. So, um, yeah, come and join us. It's a great time. Yeah, Emily is better at the uh, social media than I am. I would only say uh, Emily just does the social media. I don't think I would say I'm good at it. <laughs> Emily does the social media. Yeah, there we go. And I just hope that it all works out in the end. Well, I mean, nobody has, like, called us a Hitler, so I think we're doing okay. 